Late this afternoon, a bulletin from New Mexico suggested that the widely publicized mystery of the flying saucers may soon be solved. Army Air Force officers reported that one of the strange disks had been found and inspected sometime last week. Our correspondents in Los Angeles and Chicago have been in contact with Army officials endeavoring to obtain all possible late information. Joe Wilson reports to us now from Chicago. Um, well, look, let's begin by finding out whether you're using this line properly or not. Uh, Area 51. Yeah, um, that's right. Were you an employee or are you now? Uh, I, a former employee. Former um, employee. I, I, I was let go on a medical discharge about a week ago, and, and <laughs> I, I've kind of been running a, across the country. Um, oh, man, I don't know where to start. There are... Illuminated geese. <laughs> yes, and uh, they were just uh, directly above our heads, flying in a V-shape, a chevron shape. Right. right. So give us something quick. Okay. Um. Um. Okay. What well, What we're thinking of as as aliens are they're uh, they're they're extra dimensional beings that. An earlier precursor of the um, space program made contact with. Uh, they they are not what they claim to be. Uh, they have infiltrated a lot of uh, uh, a lot of aspects of, of of the military establishment, particularly the Area 51. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and good night. Coming west of the Rockies, in the great southwest state of Utah. This is Conversations at Midnight. It is a new year, it is a new us. We're starting off brand new. Brand new resolutions, brand new plans of who we should be, who we want to be. Personal growth is always so important. And I want to thank you for allowing me to be a part of your new year. I hope everybody had a great holiday season. I hope it all goes well for everybody. And I hope this year brings you great success, great accomplishments, Growth, most importantly. Last year, the podcast was brand new. Back in, uh, back in October, during Halloween. Brand new. And here we are ten weeks later. And I'm going to try my hardest to let it grow. In the episode before this one, I gave more detail on the plan. So I won't do that now. But... I will say this, those plans are not hollowed words. I mean those plans. I insist on those plans. So, hopefully, later on in the year, I can actually achieve more than half of what I've planned. Because the truth is, not everything that you plan will go well. Because if that's the case, then the world will either be a much better place or will be far off worse than what it is now. To me, I call that life. The way that I go about my life is, is if I make ten plans, I consider myself lucky if four out of the ten plans go well. So I hope and I pray that this new year brings everybody such great progress that whatever plans that you had, I hope they become fruitful. I really do. And I mean that. So, I'm going to start off this episode of the new year, 2022. 2022. I'm going to start off just by saying, Cheers, salute, to a great year. Let's hope it's amazing. 
Let's let's make this one count, right? Now, without a further ado, and I know that I know that you saw the title, and I know it's intriguing. So let's do this the right way. Go ahead. Let's go. Let's go bring out the candle. Let's go light the candle. Let's set the ambiance. Let's relax. Let's enjoy ourselves. If you have any candles, go ahead and light them. If you want to pause, go ahead and pause me right now. Turn off the lights, get cozy in bed, do what you have to do. My truck drivers. I love you guys and gals. But I love you all. My truck drivers out there, keep that wheel steady, as always. Stay alert. Stay aware. And on those long, twisted highways, I hope that you can make it to your destination safely. Now that the mood has been set, let's do this. To start off with the topic, I have a question for everyone. When you... When you look up at the stars, if you even look up, I know there's a lot of people who don't look up as much, but you should, you should take the time. It's a, uh, it's a hidden pleasure that's been forgotten about. It doesn't hurt to take five seconds, look up at the sky and embrace it. But how many of you, when you look up at that starlit sky, Do you, do you really think that we're the only ones out there? That on this rock that our species has existed on for years, that we're the only one out here, only species, only a life form, only thing that has lungs and can breathe with a consciousness. Do you think we're the only one out there? I can't. I find it impossible. I truly believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that I believe that there's extraterrestrial life, that there's aliens that exist out there. Now, whether they're malicious or good, or that's a topic for a different time, but right now, I want to share a few stories involving extraterrestrial beings. So please, come join me. Come sit down. Come relax. And let's have this conversation. In my previous episode, Ghosts from My Past, I talked about how I lived in an RV park called the RV Hideaway in Hollywood, Florida. If you haven't heard that episode, pause this episode and go back and listen to it. It doesn't have to be the whole thing. But the first 20 minutes, I talk about it. I go into detail about it. I I share my experiences with some of the people that I've met. Well, there was a night in particular when I lived there. Well, okay. I lived there between the years 2014, 2015, around there, through 2019. I left in 2019. And I will tell you this. I've seen many walks of life go through that RV park. In fact, I don't think I met as many interesting characters that I have in my entire life than those five years that I was there. Very, very interesting people. Some great, most horrible. Really, a lot of them were were the degenerate class. Fiends. A lot of them were. They weren't the best people. And it's a shame because a lot of them had a lot of potential. But they had a lot of vices. We all do. And I'm not going to get too you know emotional about that or anything because this is not the podcast for it. Or at least definitely not the episode for it. But some of the vices ended up taking them. 
And it's a shame because all that potential, gone. It's a crying shame that we're creatures of addiction and habit. And at the end of the day, that very thing can take us. Well, there was a night in particular where there was some ruckus outside. Every once in a while, there would be this huge argument between somebody at their RV. And you get bored there, you know? There's not that much entertainment. So from time to time, my mother and I would walk out of the RV, pretending that we're doing something, and, you know, oh, oh, oh what, huh? Oh, whoa, hey, what's happening? You know, like, oh, what's happening? And then we ended up, like, watching the fight happen or the argument or whatnot. I unfortunately, unfortunately, I I was a part of a few of them. Uh, not a lot, just about a good handful. I didn't start it. I was defending myself and other people. But on this night in particular, I was not in the fray. Thank the heavens. And my mother and I, it was something small and it, and it ended quickly. So my mother and I looked at each other and we thought, you want to go for like a little walk? So we went for a walk. We walked down the street and walked back. And on the way back, I don't know, I don't know what caused me to do so, but I looked up a little bit towards the sky. And I saw what I can only describe as a ball a a reddish white ball going across the florida sky from west to east with this long long red trail some people will call it a tail but it left this long streak it was like it was tearing the sky i can't explain it and it wasn't anything huge. It wasn't anything War of the Worlds type. But it was... It just left this insanely... like, And that streak that it left, that trail that it left, lasted a while. It wasn't like... It wasn't like a, like a plane. Where, it, where the trails would sit there in the sky and then slowly begin to fade. No, 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 no. Not at all. This was something that was long, and it stayed in the sky for a while, much longer. I, I, if I had to guess, probably like 40 minutes to an hour. And it was this red ball, just slowly but surely making its way across the sky, leaving this long red trail. And so, there was a few people that saw what I was doing, and they said, what are you looking at? And I pointed, I said, you don't see that. And then they looked over and then they saw it and they thought, oh my goodness, what is that? And eventually there was like a small group of like three or four of us, maybe five most, staring at this ball. And I had, I heard all different things. I, I heard uh, the rapture was coming. Someone said, oh, it's just a drone. Uh, yeah, no, that's not a drone. Let's just... I have never seen a drone do that. I've seen drones do amazing things. Don't get me wrong. But that? For the size that it was? No. No way that that was a drone. But. We we just. We stared at this ball. And eventually it just faded. Can't explain it. It just faded. A majority of us in the group agreed that. It was probably something of extraterrestrial life or some sort of, it sounds crazy, but some sort of uh, the government experiment, you know, one of those hidden things that they work on in broad daylight and people question and they go, oh, it's just a weather balloon. One of those things. But instead, this was at one in the morning. This is the middle of the night. And th there you are, this huge ball of red light. It was uncomfortable. It was a weird feeling. And I actually have a video of it. Well, if you can call it that. I have a video of it. The issue is that uh, I became one of those people. And it, and it's it's crazy. Because anytime I would see these kind of videos, I, I, I would get mad. Because I'm like, just stand still. Why do you have to move and record? Well, I did that. 
in the moment. I don't know why. Don't know why I did. As I, as I was recording, I thought, let me walk. Let me walk closer to it as if I could. It was miles away in the sky. As if me walking 20 feet is going to change the distance. But yeah, so the whole camera shaking and all that. But I uh, I actually have a video of it, if you can believe it. I have to find that video. Anyway. And that was the unfortunate thing. But I tried to record it. I really did. And that's the story that I thought of when it came to this topic. Not because this is the quintessential story. It's not not at all. But that really got me thinking. I love stories. Let me just jump right here and say it. I love storytelling. Fiction, nonfiction, whatever. I love it. Real folk tales, uh, myths. If I could, I would love to be a professional storyteller. That's actually one of the reasons, well, that's actually one of the things that birthed this podcast. That's why I'm so passionate about it. Once again, I don't see fame. I don't see money. That that stuff doesn't move me. That stuff doesn't make me fold. I'm in it for the passion, for the love of it. I love sharing stories. And I say this because after I started thinking about the topic of aliens and I started thinking of that red ball in the sky, I thought to myself, well, hold on now. Let me go into my, into my memory and see out of all the stories I've heard in my entire life, how many of them have aliens in it. So I'm going to go with a few for this episode. Eventually, we're going to, the topic of extraterrestrial life is going to grow and get more intense. But for now, we're taking it easy. Consider this like tier one, right? Casual talking. My father is a mechanic. Anything that has an engine, he, he can fix it. The knowledge that he has for it is astounding. It's ironic, though, because he hates it, but he loves it but he hates it, if that makes any sense. Because growing up, he would always tell me, don't be a mechanic. Please don't. It's not worth it. And then, you know, he'd just move on. And it stuck to me for a little bit, um, which is odd because I actually like mechanics. I, once again, he likes it too. I just don't think that he wanted his children to do that for the rest of their life but I like it from time to time I like creating I like using my hands but I like storytelling more but he's a mechanic and from time to time the knowledge that he has comes in handy because people will often ask him for help excuse me hey listen can you uh can you come help me with this car I don't understand it I tried but I'm just not, I'm just not understanding. And he'll go work on it and he'll fix it. And, you know, they're godsmacked at the idea that they couldn't even do it. So there's a gentleman. I don't want to say his first name, but there's a gentleman. Um, I can't even think of a name for the guy. Let's say Steve. Let's call him Steve for the sake of the story. So Steve calls my father and goes, hey, listen, I know it's pretty late, but I'm here at the shop. Is there any way that you can come help me out here? Because, man, I'm just, I'm stuck. I can't wrap my, I can't wrap my brain around this thing. I need a fresh pair of eyes. So my father agrees. Absolutely, sure. I could do that for a couple hundred bucks. Why not? And I thought, uh, can I go with you? I was probably 17 turning 18. I was already out of school. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I thought, eh, let me just go with you so I can not think about anything. Then my mom joined. So the three of us go to the shop and we meet up with Steve. And we see Steve's partner. Steve had a partner. Okay, let me just throw this out here as like a little side piece. Steve had a partner. Very odd fellow. Very dorky looking. Cool guy. But he, uh, he... Was, is, I have no idea what his status is now, but he's uh, he's quite the character. 
Now, I, I'm going to share the name that he gave me because I'm pretty sure it's a nickname. And I'll get to that later. But his name is Dink. Dink. D-I-N-K. That's what he told us to call him. Dink. And, um, and when I say he was an interesting guy, he, he was born and raised in Florida. Grew up his whole life there. But yet he had a Jamaican accent. That I'm fairly certain he forces on. It's not really his real accent. Now, if you haven't already guessed the trend that I'm saying, Dink was known to lie. To embellish the stories. I think that he liked the shock factor, if you will. So he would say some of these most outrageous tales that you've ever laid your ears on. And he would have this grin and, you know, he would go... But the thing is that he would swear up and down that it's real. It's kind of like the movie Big Fish, where the tales are this over-the-top told stories, and eventually it's like, no, it's not real. It's like, yes, of course it is. And it's that argument of, it's obviously not, but you, but he's going to argue that it is. And, it, and that's how it was, at least with him. Well, we saw him that night and I said oh look it's Dink Dink's here so my mom and I smiled and eventually we started talking to Dink and we were chit-chatting and he was saying all these outrageous things and whatnot and I don't know I don't know what what caused me to ask him this story I, I don't know but I looked at him and I said I have a question for you and he goes sure I says, do you, uh, do you believe in aliens? And for the first time in my life, that smile on his face, I saw it go away. It vanished as fast as he would have it on. And you could see him, like, he was looking at me, but not at me, if that makes sense. He was looking right through me. You could tell he was going through the Rolodex in his brain. He was somewhere in thought for a good second. And normally, you know, he would have like a like a chipper attitude, a, a more upbeat style. But he just goes, I do. And you could just, you could feel the atmosphere of the conversation change. And my mom and I are just staring at him. And I go, really? And he goes, oh, yeah, I do. And he takes his deep breath and he goes, without even missing a beat, he goes, I grew up here in Broward County. Back then, Broward County was a lot of woods, a lot of trees. My nearest neighbor was about a mile and a half away. That was my closest neighbor. There was a night back in the 60s where my sister had the neighbor girl over the house to do homework. And my mom came home and found out that they weren't doing homework and that it was late. It was like 9 o'clock at night. So my mom got mad and Told her that she has to go to bed and the girl has to go back home. And he says, my mom looks at me and says, Dink, I need you to take the girl. I need you to walk her home. Yes, mama. So he goes and he grabs the bike, his bike. And he starts walking her home. He had the bike. He was walking the bike along with the girl. Because he was going to walk her home and then jump on the bike and get home fast much faster than being on foot. And he says they started walking and it probably took about, I don't know, 20 minutes to walk that mile for them, if I'm not mistaken. And he says that they start walking down this path and, you know, the neighbor girl's like, I hope your mom's not mad. And, you know, of course not. You know, and they start talking about that small thing, you know, those small stuff in life. 
probably about 10, 15 minutes in their walk. So it's around 9.30. The girl stops and goes, do you see that? And so Dink stops and looks and he goes, what? And he goes, floating in the sky was this orange ball. This orange ball of light. And it wasn't this bright glow. It was this dim orange glow. He said it looked like the moon. When that moon is that orange color. That orange hue. Then he says there's just this orange ball. Floating there. And they're staring at it. And he says and then the ball. Goes to the left. And then it goes back to the right. And he says, and it starts bouncing left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right. Over and over and over again. And it did that for probably about, to his guesstimate was, I think he said 20 seconds. And then, boom, it just took off at insane speeds. And him and the neighbor girl look at each other and they're like, whoa, that was weird. I don't like that. And Dink said anything else, there was there was nothing abnormal. There was no weird feelings. There was, they didn't feel sick to their stomach. They, they just felt uncomfortable. And they walked home, or they walked to her house a little faster. Excuse me. They walked to her house just a little bit faster. So they make it to the neighbor girl's house. They're walking up the driveway. And the porch light turns on and the door swings open. And it's the neighbor girl's mother yelling at her and Dink. What are you doing? What happened to you guys? This is, this is insane. This is an outrage. What's wrong with you? I'm, I, I should beat your butt. And they're thinking, what? What the heck's happening? And the woman goes, what, what happened to you? I was just on, I was just on the phone with your mother. You guys left the house. Do you know how late it is? Ding goes, well, I'm sorry, ma'am. But it was it was a 20-minute walk. I don't I don't understand. She goes, Dink. It's eleven forty PM. And as Dink is saying the story, keep in mind, I'm used to the to the embellisher. I'm used to the embellishments. I'm used to those stretched out tales with insane detail and uncomfortable twists and turns. And the tone of his voice and the because I love observing people. I can't help it. I've done it my whole life. I like looking at them. I like looking at the twitches in their face as they share stories. That man, that night, Dink, Straight face. He had the face like he saw the devil. No emotion. Pale. No jokes. No twists. Raw. And he looks at me and my mom. And he goes, I want to know where two hours of my life went. Two hours of my life. Gone. I want to know what happened to it. He goes, I dropped her off. I got on my bike and I rode home as fast as I can. I went home and I told my mom. He said that his mom yelled at him, told him to go to bed, and that's what he did. And he said, I didn't care if she didn't believe me. I know what I experienced and I know what I saw. And he, and just like that, as fast as a snap of a finger, it's like he came out of that, this weird state of truth and went back to his goofy self. But in that, in, in that eight minutes of story time, it was, it was like I was speaking to a different person. It was incredible to see the effect 
to see the experiences that people have with extraterrestrial life. Seeing a ball bounce back and forth, and I'm sure there was much more, you know, because there's stories where people are abducted. They lose, they lose time in their life, and next thing you know, boom, they don't know what happened. But he was so affected by it that he lost those two hours. And I, he has every right to, to be affected by it. I would be too. What, what happened to two hours of my life? And why is it gone? Why is it I have no memory of it? Why? So this whole thing got me thinking. It started going through my brain over and over and over again. And I came to the realization, at least as of right now, to my memory, at the time of this recording, I do not think I have any other stories outside of the encounter of the first kind. Now, if you don't know what I mean by the encounter of the first kind, there's a classification. It's a, um, it's a systemical approach to the belief of how aliens or UFOs begin to function. Okay. It was developed by a man by the name of Alan Hynek. He was a, uh, astronomical consultant for the U.S. Air Force. And in 1972, he actually wrote a book talking about uh, the classifications of various encounters, especially that involving extraterrestrial life or identified flying objects. So he has three, three classifications. There's a fourth and I'll get to the fourth. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you the classifications. In a close encounter of the first kind, a UFO is seen, but there is no interaction with the environment that is being observed. In the second kind, in a close encounter of the second kind, the physical events are observed an example being the vegetation being pressed down or tree branches being broken. The close encounter of the third kind is the presence of quote-unquote occupants in or about the UFO is reported. Then there is the fourth kind. The fourth kind involves a person being taken and experimented on inside the UFO. The fifth kind involved direct communication between extraterrestrials and humans. That is apparently what I can gather, but the, but the original kinds or the original encounters is that of three. And I sit here and I, and I really often think about it. I go, man, through all the stories that I've heard, I, I, I can only think of ones that stay within the boundaries of the first kind. So example being Dink. Now he could have, could have been an encounter of the fourth. He could have been abducted in his time of lack of memory. You know, he could have, he could have very well have been taken and that's why he has no memory. Maybe something wiped it. I do not doubt the technology of extraterrestrials. It's almost horrifying to think about. So I decided to do some research and I thought, let me find something that gradually goes up the ladder of the kinds. So I want to share with you this story and I and I searched and I searched and some might be more intense than this story some might be but I don't look for intensity I don't look for grandiose I don't look for over the top I look for subtlety to me that is where I find truths is in the subtlety and the way that it's handled so 
I want to talk to you about the story of Val Johnson. Val Johnson, in 1979, experienced a, an incident. I'm not sure what the word would be. But I'm going to read to you an article that I found online that I feel like is very fitting. Worded well, much better than I'm sure that I could ever say. But the website is minpost.com. And the title of the article is What Happened to Deputy Sheriff Val Johnson's Squad Car in 1979? And I'll get to the squad car later. It is written by Lizzie Ehrenholt. Sorry if I missaid it. Ehrenholt. But it goes as quoted. Quote. One of the most credible UFO encounters in American history unfolded in Minnesota in 1979. Marshall County. The deputy sheriff, Val Johnson, never claimed he saw aliens or spaceships, merely a force he could not identify collided with his car, cracking its windshield and leaving him unconscious. Johnson's reasonable testimony and the evidence left behind on his vehicle made the event a popular case among those who study unidentified aerial phenomena. On the night of August 27th, 1979, Johnson was on patrol in his squad car on a particularly desolate stretch of County Highway 5 in Marshall County. It was 10 miles west of Stephen. At 1.40 a.m., he spotted a light in the sky and turned left onto State Highway 220 to investigate. He was thinking it might be a plane making an emergency landing. As he drove forward, however, the light abruptly entered the car itself. He heard the sound of glass breaking and then lost consciousness. When Johnson came to, 39 minutes had passed. He had eye pain and a bump on his head, but the car seemed to have suffered worse. Sustaining a dented hood, bent antennas, a shattered windshield, a broken headlight, and a broken hazard light. Both Johnson's wristwatch and the car's clock had lost 14 minutes. Whatever impact had cracked the windshield had evidently also sent the vehicle coasting 854 feet along the road before it stopped at a 90-degree angle to oncoming traffic. He told the dispatcher who responded to his call for help, quote, something attacked my car. It wasn't a vehicle. I don't know what the hell it was, close quote. A doctor at a hospital in Warren treated Johnson's eyes, which were injured as if it was a welder's burn. The Marshall County Sheriff's Office, led by Sheriff Dennis Breek, carried out an investigation into the incident. The Air Force and the Federal Aviation Agency, the FAA, both confirmed that no aircraft had been scheduled to fly or were reported in the area in the early hours of August 27th. So let's break this down here. Let's stop. Let's break this down. And there's also some more things that I'm going to get into that I did some more research on the story. But he sustained injuries to that of a welder's burn. So his corneas were slightly burned. The car experienced a dent in the hood, cracked windshield, broken headlight, broken hazard light. And both 
spring-mounted antennas were bent. Here's the thing. I did some research on the antenna. As weird as it sounds, I just I started to look into it. It wasn't just bent. It was bent at nearly a perfect 90-degree angle. Now, I'm sure some might say, okay, whatever. Who cares? And I might agree with you. I actually, maybe once at some point, I might go, yeah, I could see it. But what I found in my research is that after the incident, the sheriff's department contacted Ford because the squad car was a, was a Ford. I don't, I don't know what the make and model was. I wish I knew. It's a really nice looking car. But they contacted someone from Ford and they responded by sending a representative from Ford to look at the damages to see if there's any explanation, et cetera, et cetera. The man arrives on scene days later, looks at the car, and he tells the police department that in all his years of working with Ford, he's never seen a windshield cracked in the way that it's cracked without it completely breaking the glass. He's, uh, he's never seen anything like the antenna being bent like that for some odd reason without any more of the damages to the car. Uh, he's just never seen anything like it. And that's, and that's where he left it. He has no idea. To me, that speaks volumes. And I know some people are going to go, oh, well, you know, he's taking this as the doctrine. I'm not. I'm just saying these are points being pointed out that I, that I can't help but go along with. The idea that somebody came, a representative who understands the vehicles, came and saw it, and even he himself said, I'm sorry, I, I've, I've never seen anything like this, is interesting. There's a few theories. There's a theory that, uh, that, that an airplane flew by really low and hit the car. <laughs> Call me crazy. I feel like if there's some sort of collision, there'd be a lot more damage. If you, if you look at the picture of the car, if you look at the picture of the car, of that squad car, there's, you wouldn't even know that it was, that it went through something. Like, the damage is so minimal, so small. You really had to stare at it to go, oh, yeah, that's right, missing headlight, cracked windshield. If there's a collision with an airplane, I feel like that car would have been way more destroyed. And maybe the plane would have scattered itself across the field on the side of the highway. There's nothing. Just the car and the skid marks of him applying the brakes. And that was after he rolled 826 feet or something like that. He lost consciousness. He'd lost 14 minutes. And let's say that he didn't. Essentially, what, what this whole thing sounds like to me, and I could be wrong, is some sort of EMP, an electromagnetic pulse that shuts off technology. Because to me, that makes sense. It wipes off the it wipes off the technology. Car gets shut off. The battery dies. Alternator goes. The clocks go out. His wristwatch goes out. And he coasts unconscious. The thing is, is what caused it? I don't care what the reason is. If someone said, "Oh, you know, it was a, you know, it wasn't a UFO. It really was in an EMP." Let's say that that's proven. Then, then who activated it and why? And why did it make a dent in the hood? Shatters the glass. The glass I can see, actually. I take that back. I can see the glass. But why does it dent the hood and it bends both antenna back to nearly perfect 90 degree angles? That's what I don't understand. It doesn't have to be alien. It's just, it's unknown. I'm going to chalk it up to that it's extraterrestrial. Because I don't know what technology back in 1979 we had to do that. And let's say that it's proven that it's not aliens. Then that means the government, or whoever has that technology, has been lying for eons. 
So that means these smartphones that are that are in our pocket, this is probably not even new technology. This is something that we've been having for eons then. And where did we get the technology? You, you can't tell me that we come out of the industrial era not even 150 years ago and we already have a computer in our pocket? I don't see that. I don't, I don't see it. We evolved too fast when it came to our, tech, our technological advance. Too fast, too quick. There's no way. I don't believe it. But I digress. The idea of this gentleman going through this, to me, my opinion, conversation at midnight, opinion, I believe this to be a true encounter of the second kind. There's physical evidence and that's it. There was no species being seen. There was physical evidence left behind and it's over. That is a close encounter of the second kind. Now, when it comes to that of the third kind, I've read a few stories, and the one that really sticks out to me, and I'm sure that if you are into aliens and extraterrestrial life, it is the Travis Walton story. Now, if you don't know what the Travis Walton story is, uh, it was actually pretty popular back in the day when it first happened. But I'm going to read you a snippet from Wikipedia. You can go to Google or any search engine, type in Travis Walton, and go to the Wikipedia, and under the tab, Abduction Claims. This is what it says, and I quote, According to Walton, and a number of other members from the logging crew on November 5th, 1975, this is four years before what happened to Val Johnson going back to the uh, going back to the paragraph he was working with a timber stand improvement crew in the Apache Sitgraves National Forest near Snowflake Arizona while riding in a truck with six of his co-workers they allegedly encountered a saucer-shaped object hovering over the ground approximately 110 feet away making a high-pitched buzz. Walton claims that after he left the truck and approached the object, a beam of light suddenly appeared from the craft and knocked him unconscious. The other six men were frightened and supposedly drove away. Walton claimed that he awoke in a hospital-like room, being observed by three short, bald creatures. He claimed that he fought with them onto a human wearing a helmet led Walton to another room. Where he, and that's where he blacked out as three other humans put a clear plastic mask over his face. Walton has claimed he remembers nothing else until he found himself walking along a highway five days later with the flying saucer departing above him. This is a really, really condensed version of what happened to Travis Walton. There's more of the details that go on. There's a there's a film inspired by his uh, by his events called Fire in the Sky. I don't think it's for the for the lighthearted. It's actually kind of an intense movie. But if you want to watch it, go ahead. Fire in the Sky. So. The thing about Travis Walton, the thing about Dink, and the thing about Val Johnson is that they all experienced some form of unconsciousness and loss of time and memory. These are traits eerily common, very common with, with people when they experience such a thing. It's un and and it it's not special occasions like this where it happens. It can happen to anybody, anybody at any given time. I'll read you a story, a story off of 
a, uh, a subreddit called Ask Reddit. Reddit.com. The user writes, and the user deleted his account, so he doesn't have a name. I can't give him credit. But this is the story. I can't say for sure what happened to me that night, but here's what I know. I was driving home for the weekend from school at Indiana University. It takes me about two hours to get home, and I left the Bloomington area around 10 p.m. At exactly 10.53, I am on a rural stretch of the two-lane highway I take home, and I noticed what appeared to be flashing lights behind me. I thought, great, I'm getting pulled over. So I turn on to the next country road, about a quarter mile from where I noticed the lights. As the car came to a stop, I started to open my glove box to get out my registration and proof of insurance. The lights suddenly disappeared. And no car drove past me. Now here's where the story takes a turn for the weird. And I'm sure you guys will think that I'm just making it all up because it really does seem like something straight out of a typical UFO movie or story. The electronics in my car started to go haywire. The radio was randomly changing stations while the volume kept going up and down while the dome light and headlights start to flicker and turn off and back on. This was at 10.56 p.m. And I start thinking to myself that my battery must be failing. Or, I have a short somewhere in the electrical system of my car. So I lean down, pop the hood, so I can take a look at the battery. And that's the last thing I remember doing. The next thing I know, I open my eyes and see nothing but the night sky full of bright stars. It was a cold night, and it seemed like I had never seen stars that bright in my life. I sat up, and I looked around, and I saw absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. I was in the middle of a field, surrounded by corn stalks left over from the recent harvest. As I started to come to my senses, I began to freak out. Where am I? Why am I asleep in the middle of a field? Where's my car? I got up and started walking towards the distant headlights I could see from a road about a half a mile away. When I got to the nearest intersection... I looked at the signs, which read 350 North and 50 West. I was half a mile from my car, which was just off the main road. I started walking towards the headlights I could see on the main road. I honestly can't say how long it took me to walk the half mile, but it couldn't have been no more than 10 or 15 minutes. When I arrived at my car, all the lights were blown out. My battery had died which struck me as odd because I couldn't have been gone for that long. I looked at my phone, which was sitting on the passenger seat and the time said 2.17 in the morning. Over three hours had passed since I turned off to the side of the road for the flashing lights behind me. I remember sitting in my car, completely dumbfounded, wondering what the heck had just happened to me. After about half an hour of just sitting there, I remembered that my battery was dead. So, I got on the phone and called AAA to come out and give me a jump. It took about an hour for them to get out to me since I was a good distance away from the nearest town, during which time I had just sat in silence, running through the possible scenarios in my head concerning what had just happened. To this day, I couldn't tell you what really happened to me that night. All I know is I can't for any plausible explanation as to why I woke up over half a mile away from my car in the middle of a cornfield and after more than three hours had gone by. I have only shared this story with one other person, my uncle. I'm sure people would either look at me like I'm crazy or they would say I'm lying on the whole story and honestly I can't blame them. If someone came to me with a story like that, that so closely mirrors the stereotypical encounter story, I probably wouldn't believe them either. This is a random person 
who received no recognition for anything of of any story close to this. Not equal to Travis Walton, not equal to Val Johnson, nothing. This is a random human being who experienced such a frightening story. What do you explain about, like, what do you think of that? How do you go about that? These are multiple stories that share a very same fine details. Losing time, losing memory, electronics going out. They blend together. I don't think that this is something, you know, when it comes, oh, it's just a stereotypical story. Well, what if the stereotype is a part of the MO? What if that's how it works? They blast the technology, they wipe it from you, you can't use technology, you can't call anybody, you can't drive away, and then and then they get you. There's a consciousness here. And the question is, why are they doing this? Is it to abduct? Is it to do experiments? It's interesting, and it's eerie. It's confusing. And I don't know what to make of it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an odd, odd world out here. And to think for even a second that we're the only sentient life that exists in this universe, in the galaxy, in all of space, is weird to even just imagine. There's no way that we are. I refuse to believe it. There are... There are to me, I see proof in ancient civilizations that they've that they've came into contact with some sort of advanced species of something. I'm going to talk about that in part two. And yes, there will be a part two. But there's proof out here. There's there's stories beyond stories. Look at Kenny Veach. Two episodes ago, I talked about Kenny Veach. One of the theories is that something involving extraterrestrial life took him. I don't know if that's the case or not. I'm sure I don't know. But he was near the extraterrestrial highway and near Area 51. There's stories that exist here that share proof. That's what I believe. And I always will. There is more out here. What we see as space and emptiness, I see as highways for other life forms. Going back and forth. Trotting through the distant corners of space. We're just one of their many stops. That's all we are. We're just a pit stop for them. And we are the main attraction. Unfortunately, the sun is setting on this conversation. And I want to thank you. From the bottom of my heart, truly, I want to thank you. I appreciate you for allowing me to be a part of your new year. And if you are a new listener, way after this episode is released, thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life. I do not speak of this to offend anybody. I do not talk of these conversations to make anybody uncomfortable. I talk about it because I feel the need to talk about it, because I feel like no one else is. Especially not in the way that it should be talked about. Not everything has to be a joke every 20 seconds. Thank you for allowing me, for listening to me, ramble on about nonsense. I don't think it's nonsense, but some people might. Happy New Year. Cheers to a fruitful year. Please, Please enjoy each other. 
be open-minded to things, to the things around us. It is an uncanny world out here. Very strange. Very intriguing. And, and this isn't new. There are folk tales from many civilizations that speak of it. I want to thank you all. Thank you so much. Till next time. Till next week. This is Conversations at Midnight coming to you west of the Rockies from the great southwest state of Utah. Thank you and have a good night. Uh, the, the disasters that are coming, they, the, the military, I'm sorry, the, the government knows about them, and there's a lot of safe areas in this world that they could begin moving the population to now, Art. But they're not doing, they're not doing anything. They are not, they want the major population centers wiped out so that the the few that are left will be more easily controllable. Discharge. Uh, uh, <laughs>